0: Hello and welcome to this miraculous and magical Silmarillion film project. I say miraculous and magical because, um, first of all, we'll be talking about magic tonight, a fascinating topic uh, when it comes to Tolkien and adaptation. And it's also magical and miraculous because um, uh, our various hosts and co-hosts are all here, largely healthy, recovered from (laughs) illnesses acquired at or injuries sustained at (laughs) Nick (laughs) <laughs> an, event, an event that uh, no one—I don't think anyone ever me- mentioned how perilous it could actually be. It's but, so
1: uh, magical that no one emerges un- unchanged. Uns- uh, that's, yes, that's 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 the way it is. That's, right. that's the way it is. No
0: one no one emerges unscathed. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. No. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was uh, it was so worth it. Uh, it was so worth it. Um, it was and actually.
0: Next time, do you think maybe you might uh, pass through a hedge of swords instead?
1: Uh, no, no, I totally choose it over a hedge of swords. Actually, yeah, yeah, every time, every time. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was actually very, uh, uh very, uh, very, very affirming. Actually, uh, you know, I got sick afterwards, uh, and of course, you know, it really like forces the question, right? Like, okay, so. Getting together with people for a weekend conference like that. Is it worth it? Like, if you might get sick afterwards. And I did get sick afterwards. And was, like, in the middle of being sick. And I'm like, you know what? Totally worth it. I'd do it again. <laughs> I'd do it again for the same consequence. Uh, it was awesome. So, anyway, no. Myth Moot was fantastic this year. We had an awesome time. Um, and uh, we did... Uh, uh, Dave, you missed. We did a... Um, we did a, a full uh, dramatic reading of uh, episode one from this uh, from this season. So uh, it was it was good. I got to uh, I totally snagged the best role. Um, I, wow. uh, I I portrayed Huan, which of course was not a speaking role in this episode, but um, uh, but still I got to play Huan on stage. So that was uh, that was a milestone for my acting career. Uh, <laughs> that was great Life fun. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. <clears throat> but see, I was also playing the long game because if ever we go back and do one of the episodes in which he does speak, see, now I'm I'm already so I'll get to do one of uh, one of who on speaking roles maybe someday. Uh, but uh, but we'll see, we'll see about that. Um, anyway, yeah. So today, um, the topic of our conversation today is magic. This is something that we've dealt with before off and on. It's come up at various points and in various ways uh, over the course of this. But how to depict magic in a Tolkien adaptation is a really, really interesting question, right? When you think back to things like why did, uh, you know, in the confrontation between Saruman and Gandalf at Isengard scene, did Peter Jackson feel the impulse to add a fireball right uh to that exchange and on the one hand like it seems a little silly right um but at the same time i get it like i i can understand the impulse that led him to add a fireball there in some ways it's it's non-trivial uh this question of how do you depict a fundamentally magical confrontation um given the way that tolkien depicts those things um is a, is a this is it's a really interesting question, and of course, Beren and Luthien. The story of Beren and Luthien is, I think, in the entire Silmarillion, the place where this issue comes most into crisis. Um, we and so we really need to uh, sit down and think this through. How would we handle that? What's going on here um, uh, with this stuff? So anyway, that's um, uh, that's the topic of our conversation tonight. Uh, Quick announcement. First, we've got our regional moots coming up soon. So I'm going to be in Ohio uh, at the end of this month um, for Buckeye moot. Uh, And and then we're going to be Denver, Kansas City, uh, Carlsbad, California, just north of San Diego. And then down in Australia in January. That's those. That's the upcoming schedule uh, uh, for that. We also do have yes, New England Moot is official uh, in there on October fifteenth as well. Um, and um, anyhow, so um, so all of this that's that's right here. Uh, yeah, right, right here in New Hampshire near me. Um, but. Um, but I wanted to particularly emphasize Buckeye Moot, not only because it's coming up first, but because the registration deadline is very soon. Um, we have to close registration a couple weeks prior to the event for in person for on-site registration attendance. Uh, so anybody who is in the Ohio area who would like to join us at Buckeye Moot on July 30th needs to register by July 16th, by two weeks beforehand. So that's next week the end of next week basically is the deadline for that so this is the last uh broadcast prior to that so i wanted to make sure to emphasize that if you want to come to buckeye moot please do sign up before july 16th
2: and one of the uh, notes of why to go to buckeye moot carita will be there
1: that's right. Corita will be there. Uh, yeah, Corita's going to... She lives in Indiana, so she's going to be coming over from Indiana to Ohio. Ohio's a really nice spot, kind of uh, you know, convenient to a bunch of different places. And <clears throat> we are going to be uh, in Cincinnati, so um, we'll probably... Buckeye, f- future Buckeye moots may rove around the state a little bit, uh, but we're starting off in Cincinnati. So yeah, Corita's coming. It's going to be awesome. Um, <clears throat> so... That is what is happening. So I hope that folks will be able to join us. Of course, all of our moots are hybrid moots. And so if you can't come in person, you can still attend remotely uh, and uh, participate in the fun that way. But we hope that you'll be able to join us there um, for uh, uh, for Buckeye Moot on July 30th. Um, <clears throat> one other brief thing. I did announce uh, my book, uh, which is... Um, Uh, which is now available for, uh, for purchase. Where's my, where's my copy of the cover? Hang on a second. I got, I forgot to, uh, I got too many windows going on over here. Oh, there it is. Oh yeah. Ta-da. There's my, there's my official book cover. Um, Exploring the Lord of the Rings, volume one, um, which is going to be covering the first book of the Fellowship of the Ring. So that's from, uh, you know, from, from the long expected party up through the flight to the Ford, um, and uh, I'm releasing this serially so you can you can come you can pre-order it I'm going to be uh, releasing each chapter as I finish it about one chapter a month starting in August um, and uh, you can you can uh, join me for that get uh, give some feedback be involved in the process it 's going to be uh, a really fun uh, sort of community project uh, which is going to be great so those people who know my exploring the Lord of the Rings Tuesday night classes, Basically, what we're doing here is backing up from the very close, detailed discussions that we've been doing of The Lord of the Rings and uh, looking at the larger patterns and drawing some conclusions. That's the uh, the function and purpose of this book. So anyway, it's going to be a lot of fun. Go to press.signumuniversity.org uh, and you can uh, f- order there and uh, uh, find ways to get involved. So. There we go. There's my book, too. Okay. <clears throat> First, let's begin our discussion of magic here this evening um, by uh, going back over some of the stuff that we've looked at before. Because we want to we remember where we've been here uh, so we can think of some kind of consistency uh, for how we've depicted things in the past. Um, we have, of course, the Valar who can uh casually shape the physical world that's part of what they do um we were in some ways of course season one is kind of a bad data point uh for all of this stuff because some very different things were going on there um but as i recall we didn't do much or we didn't plan much um in term I mean, okay, there were some special effects scenes like the overturning of the lamps and stuff, but um, but as far as like when the Valar were doing things, they were tending just to will things, and the things were happening, right? Yep.
2: Huh? Well, for the most part, but depends on what the thing was. So, mm-hmm. like the lamps were constructed, and it was obviously right. a magical thing happening. Right. And Ungolian's running around trapping people with her webs. And right. that's probably not, like, not magical. Right, <laughs> um, right. And, you know, there's, like, gathering up of ambient light happening at one point, And that's mm-hmm. not a thing that you can actually do
1: <laughs> right. in the right. real
2: world. So, I mean, right. it, it was presented in a very matter-of-fact way in that the characters didn't find anything wondrous. About right. doing these things, right? But it's still magical,
1: right? And most of the wondrous things that the Valar were doing um, were associated with song, right? Most of the time, yeah, a
3: lot of it. Oh, like, all the key ones
2: being the production or the creation of the two trees, obviously had song right, uh, right, integrally involved in that process, right
1: song and dance yes and and, 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 and weeping <laughs> yes exactly all the, all the essentials <laughs> the key
2: ingredients
1: <laughs> exactly exactly um yeah yeah um okay so um and the two things that we we're pointing out here like the the again so in the post season one world focusing on the post season one world um We have primarily had um, elves doing magical things, and sometimes Maiar doing magical things, and when Melian and Sauron, who have been our two primary Maiar, have been doing things, it has tended to involve songs. So we did have Melian, um, we had the scene where Melian created the girdle. During that spider fight that we arranged, Um, and uh, and then we also had Sauron's attempt to wreck things at the Marathodarthod, right? Which was not only uh, in which he not only used uh, his song and his uh, insidious, malicious, and altogether nefarious Hurdy Gurdy, but um, that he also that, that that then that was also opposed at the time by Luthien. Um, So we've already seen Luthien and Sauron sort of head-to-head doing an an explicitly magical thing uh, through song right there. Um, Okay, so that's one precedent that we've already established that singing this 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 trend that singing does make things happen like when certain characters uh are are singing it's one way that we are signaling that magic is occurring
2: i do want to point out that it's not always necessary to have song for these magical events to happen mm-hmm. so for instance sarah Romancy* doesn't involve right. any song and um, same with the spell of bottomless dread similarly it's right. a musical thing Right. And, and for Melian she has her grotto where you can visit and gain insights that, that might be painful <laughs> about truth in the future and such right. um, and there's not usually song associated with those uh, encounters
1: right. yeah the little proto mirror of Goadrial thing that we did yeah yeah um, right Yes. Yes. This, of course, is one of the things that makes Tolkien's magic so complicated is that very often what is happening in Tolkien's stories is someone basically asserting their will. Right. It's the application of will over something or someone Right. Sometimes both, sometimes one or the other. Um, but that assertion of will is often quite invisible and intangible. And this is where you end up with fireballs in the Peter Jackson, because you have what is essentially a wizard's duel, right? Between Gandalf and Saruman, like they really are matching wills. they re- you know, their, their power in whatever sense is involved there. And yet, They're just, like, looking at each other, right? Um, And saying some words, like, conversing, basically, but almost all of the actual confrontation between Gandalf and Saruman is completely silent and invisible. Um, And that's hard. That's hard on a a visual adaptation, right? To just have... I mean, and this is where you also get into the even more ridiculous than the fireball, uh, you know, staff fight. Uh, between Gandalf and Saruman in The Fellowship of the Ring right um, which uh, oh man my kids laughed so hard the first time they saw that um, but I mean it's, it's again like I get it I understand why they felt the need to supplement in that kind of way right because the magical confrontation the confrontation of wills between them um, you can't see it
2: Right. They went with a much more literal depiction of a duel.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Whether it's adding smacking each other in the face with sticks or whether it's adding fireballs, in either way, you're making the confrontation between them visible and tangible instead of just this completely um, silent, invisible confrontation between them. You think of um, the description the 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 scene that i always come back to which has the most explicit description of this is the confrontation between gandalf and denethor in the return of the king remember when pippin sees like it feels like he can almost see like a line between their eyes right and like like swords you know like he gets all metaphorical trying to do like pippin is aware of it like he can perceive it from the outside he's standing there watching and he can perceive like so even pippin is aware even pippin is aware that something's happening here right um there's like they're fighting right now, like, and he and he feels it and and tries to describe it almost like, a f- but it's not visible, it's just he's just using metaphors to try to uh to reach for it. But that that moment when Pippin is kind of looking back and forth between Gandalf and Denethor, um, is one of the moments where we're seeing this kind of conflict of will here. Then, of course, you also have the healing of Theoden, which is, um, which again. Peter Jackson took steps to make more visible, right, Um, and uh, with the, like, disembodied voice of Saruman speaking through Théoden and the whole possession and exorcism thing um, in order to give something more to anchor onto than just... Why not stand up, walk outside with me, and look around, and then feel better, right? <laughs> Which is what you see if you if you just depict exactly what happens in the book. They just walk up, start talking, and then he like stands up, and they walk outside, and he's like, you know, uh, you know, and, and Gandalf is like, you don't really actually need to lean on that stick, do you? And Theoden's like, well, no, I don't. I mean, it's just nothing happens, <laughs> nothing visual happens, and that's the real the real challenge um so um anyway <clears throat> um back to our uh, our little uh survey here so we've got here magic employed by the elves is our other category so we've got the the sort of the valoran type magic right um which is often though not always um uh uh connected with song Um, And the question here with the elf magic is especially about that line between magic and technology, right? And this we've kind of skirted in a a bunch of places. When elves are doing... Craftsmanship, right? When they're making something like when they're making a sword, as we depicted in the forging of Ringgill, uh, by or the reforging of Ringgill by Fingolfin. Right. Um, or of course the making of the Silmarils, which we didn't show, um, you know, we didn't give like a full, um, you know, like, um, uh, anime forging montage scene. Right. Like we didn't, we didn't, we didn't really do that. Um, but, uh, but anyway, we, 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 With the making of the Silmarils, um, with Aeol, we showed Aeol performing some magic in a couple uh, couple different places. Um, And in every single spot, uh, we tended to show the material production process, right? Like the forging of the sword. But we did sort of allow this kind of layer of mystery, right? Like clearly when Fingolfin is forging Ringel, there's clearly magic involved. His will, there might be, Was did he sing? I'm forgetting. Did, did, did Fingolfin sing? I think he sang. Yes. He's...
2: Yeah. I believe he was singing about the hill Caraxa. Right. In that right. scene, at the very least, there's images of his memories appearing, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. reflected in the material right. he's making the sword from. Yeah. Right. This so, is in the
3: reforging
2: the reforging. Second
1: Errico. forging, yes. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, so in that scene, what we were attempting to capture is on the one hand, he's forge, he's making a sword, right? So we have Smithcraft first and foremost, right? But then by showing him singing and then by showing these images, we were um, basically trying to capture... Uh, Honestly, it, most of all, it's sort of Goadriel or not Goadriel's words, um, Haldir's words, right? About the elf cloaks, right? We we put the love of the we, we put the thought of all we love into all that we make, right? So that idea of like them putting the thought of things into things, right? Which. To hear Haldir talk about it in uh, The Fellowship of the Ring, it sounds like it's just like, well, that's just how you do it, right? I mean, that's, it's like to them, it's not special. It's not magic. This is why there's confusion about what is and is not a magic cloak, right? Um, and, uh, but, but that process, <clears throat> that's definitely elf magic, right? Um, to take those thoughts of things. And if we think about it, we set that up. Um, There are ways in which I think, I mean, I I think it was explicit at the time. Um, If not, it works well in retrospect, but wasn't it? I mean, we were basically thinking of things like the depiction of the Finrod Sauron song battle, right? That whole like evoking of ideas and scenes and memories and things and using that in the context of a song of power. Um, uh, That whole idea was really what we were invoking there in the forging of Ringgill. so we've had that ben. kind of thing. So, sorry, n- Nick, go ahead.
3: Uh, there's also a scene in episode 13 of season five um, where we kind of get a prototypical, prototypical version of the song battle that we're going to get in this season. You know, we right. we actually have Sauron and um, and Finrod go back and forth. They don't know who each other are at the right. time. Right. Um, but the style should be a similar thing right 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 that kind of direct confrontation
1: there um yeah but but there should be some uncertainty just as there is for the hobbits in the fellowship of the ring right there should be uncertainty what's technology and what is magic right those boundaries are and really should be very fuzzy
2: Right. What can elves just do because they're master craftsmen and what can elves do because they're elves and no matter how much you imitated their craftsmanship a mortal would never be able to replicate. Like where is that line and you're not going to figure it out by watching elvish craftsmen do their thing. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, It's like yet another reason why it's too bad that um, they didn't find out earlier that Sam liked rope making. Right, because then we could have had a control.
2: <laughs>
1: right? Let's let's see how much they could have taught Sam, right, and then what his ropes would have looked like compared to the elf rope that he got, uh, and uh, and see you know where exactly where the ones are. Um, presumably, the whole like self retracting element, uh, you know. Uh, rope that will come when you call it uh, is presumably not something they could have taught Sam uh, in mere rope rope making technique, um, but nevertheless, clearly they have superior rope making technique and superior su- and probably superior um, uh, 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 materials as well, right? Um, and this is something actually that Tolkien himself emphasized. Um, <clears throat> this was not one of my favorite parts of the nature of Middle Earth. Um, But it was really interesting when he was talking about Lembus, right? Um, And uh, what I didn't like about it is I actually thought – I felt like he he went too far in the technology direction and away from the magic when he was basically explaining that what made Lembus Lembus was not something special in the process, but it was just all about the grain. Like there was this like special, you know, uh, like – magic grain that had come over from valinor and if you make the bread with like the
3: special magic grain, yeah
1: yeah i mean it's it's like you've got the it's it it, it, it was it it was just about the ingredients apparently right more than anything else um and i was like well that's a little disappointing actually you know i kind of i kind of was hoping there's a little bit more in it than just like the you know special strand of grain uh you know that came over from the west but whatever you know um
3: you were, look, you were looking for a recipe weren't you
1: I was looking for a recipe I wanted the magic to be in the cooking more than in the in the grain that was I I that was like I, I wanted I did I did want it to be about the recipe more than about the the ingredients but there you go um anyway so so yeah I um the point though is that Oh, obviously, Tolkien was thinking in these kinds of directions. That is, that a lot of what is magical or appears—a is lot of that is technology as well. Like, for instance, I believe um, that the Theonorian lamps are something like 100% technology, really. I mean, it's not about, like, they— you know, can cast continuous blue flame. Uh, you know, and encapture it in crystal. They they have some technique, right? They have some some technique which, under the proper observational uh, 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 circumstances, you know, one could see exactly how they made it. Um,
2: yes. Yeah, we could, in fact. <laughs> make yeah. blue led lanterns
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> with exactly. mortal craftsmen <laughs> with <laughs> that's <mortal> cr- possible <laughs> exactly exactly um yeah this is uh <clears throat> this is what uh led to michael basial's hilarious talk a couple years ago at MythMoot, um in which he was arguing that you know the elves were clearly aliens and this is all just advanced technology um uh and he was uh explaining all of the uh advanced technology they are
3: obviously using um, I mean but the, yeah the, the, the metallurgy that goes into their blades for example like being able to make your swords glow blue when orcs are close. like there's some the, I have a hard time believing that the elves don't just with their better connection to the world and their sure. more time spent in it have a much better understanding of how like subatomic physics works mm-hmm. than we do sure sure i mean they just because they don't have spaceships doesn't mean that right, right. You as know, far
1: as we know right yeah uh, right. there is that straight right road the West. yeah exactly <laughs> sure. exactly carried and the shipwright might have upgraded over the years you know yes. <laughs> um but yeah yeah no i i, I agreed i mean and that's I, I bet you that there are many people who would um, have a really strong negative reaction to the idea of, you know, Elvish as technology in this way. Um, and um, I, I would understand that. But I do think that there is there is a lot in Tolkien that suggests this um, part of the mystery that he leaves surrounding this stuff is I think a deliberate blurring of that particular line. How much of this is technology and how much is magic? And he describes it from the standpoint, I mean, this is his technique all through the Lord of the Rings, right? To describe things from the standpoint of the people who understand it least. And so therefore leaving it very mysterious. <clears throat> Another example of course is the Numenorians. It's very clear in Tolkien's writings that the Numenorians were technologically advanced. Indeed, in the early drafts, uh, the, the first version uh, of the of the Numenor story. He, they had planes and steamships, and it, like they they went, they were, they were, they were fixing the carpet bomb, Valinor, when they invaded. Uh, at the end of the day, um, that's and the reason why Sauron's army just vanishes. Uh, you know, when they confront Sauron and don't have a battle because Sauron's army just vanishes is because they they bring their artillery, their heavy artillery, and start to cannonade them, um, and you know Sauron's like. Stick and sword wielding orcs scatter and flee when uh, you know under the artillery bombardment of the Numenorians. and that's explicit. That's described uh, earlier on. Now he backs off from that in later versions, but I don't think that he left that totally behind. Um, and I believe very, I, I think very, very, very much things like the, um, the 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 walls of Orthanc, right, and the outer walls of Minas Tirith. Um, okay. I don't think that's magic. I think that's technology. That's Numenorian technology that they brought with them, um, you know, from Numenor. Um, and uh, uh, anyway, b- but
2: or but
1: think the point
3: itself, isn't it carved out of just living rock? Yeah, yeah, well, it, again, it's one of those things where he says it
1: looks like it was,
3: right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So maybe it was right,
3: uh, or maybe... they somehow are able to hide seams really, really, really well.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, uh, and I don't know whether it's like a like it was like stonemasonry technology or some kind of metallurgy or whatever that like again you know that makes the the outer um, uh, walls of Orthanc end-proof, Right? Um, uh, I, I don't know, um, but. Uh, uh, but anyway, like there's clearly technology and there's clearly magic also. Um, and a lot of what Tolkien does is like just there's it's like where the frontier is and how those things overlap at that frontier um, are mysterious. He leaves that those mysterious because they tend to be described by people who don't understand at all, right And the whole thing um, just looks very uh, very, very mysterious. Um, so, this is one of the things that makes it challenging for us to figure out how to handle this stuff right um and so we've had some examples again like the forging of ringgill where we clearly do show magic and magic functioning in the way that we know it does function right the combination of technology craftsmanship and the um investing of the thought and will of the smith into the artifact this obviously you know nick you were mentioning like glamdring and orcrist and stuff that seems explicit there as well that it was like the the anger of the smiths right against the go- the, the goblins that uh is like invests the swords with uh um their hatred of the or- like the those those are swords with emotions like right? remember glamdring is
3: Totally pumped about killing the Great Goblin, right? And and their special hatred of Balrogs. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you can't kill a Balrog unless you're wielding one of those swords. It's just, it's <laughs> right. done. You can't kill it, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's no, that's um, yeah, yeah. There's a certain correlation <laughs> there. Which Clips we are helpful. When
2: we get to a future season and we discuss the construction of magical swords and gondolas we're not yeah. there yet
1: we're not there yet we're not there yet but uh Some um, of us are <laughs> anyway so um uh as i say with there's, there's there's been a bunch of things that we've done here so okay so luthien's magic so, so now we come to luthien right into the midst of all of these policies comes luthien um what is she how do we do cuz of course she is an elf but she's also the daughter of Melian right so <clears throat> one question about her is how different do we want to make her now we've already made some moves in episode 1 we made some moves right by um and it was nothing like brave necessarily that we did but we showed the whole like flowers springing up as she passes by thing right Which is not, that's not even a normal elf thing, right? That seems to be, if there's one really clear piece of evidence that she does have, like, Maiar power, right? That seems to me to be one of the most obvious examples of that. I mean, you could say that the whole performance before Mandos would probably not have flown if it had been by an elf. but, But that's, but to me, the, like, when I dance around Flowers Spring Up, that says goddess, not elf. You know, Galadriel can sing of trees of gold and trees of gold. there say, grew.
2: I sang. A, I sang. A, yeah. I know.
1: Great. I know. But still, that's not the same. Sang,
2: a wind there came and in the branches blew. Like
1: sure, sure. Mm-hmm. That means like my will has power and I can exert that power through my song. That's not the same as I went for a walk and like they're just flowers spontaneously springing up wherever I walk.
2: Yes, it, that is. I believe the. Um, climax of Fern Gully when she comes into her earth goddess powers and she walks Mm -hmm. out and just plants explode everywhere around her
1: right Uh, I have not
2: seen that movie since I was in elementary school but my my (laughs) recollection is that that was how they said okay she's a magical fairy now
1: right right Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so anyway, my point is just, there's clearly something more than just normal elf about her. And this is one of the reasons why this season is such a, uh, a crucial moment in this, um, crucial moment. I was, I was going to call it a high watermark, but I think that's a vast exaggeration or sorry, vast understatement rather. Um, there are very few other times where we're going to need this kind of explicit... Uh, the, the explicit performance of magic on screen that we're going to get in the Baron and Luthian season. We're rarely going to get that again through the rest of the First Age, right? I mean, where? There 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 may be some incidents. We're going to get Glaurung doing his amnesia thing, but he's different.
2: Depending on what we do with that Renville story... Yeah. There's going to be a lot of, and then she turns into a bird, and then he okay, flies yeah, no, you're his right. ship into Arindo. the sky, and now he's a star.
1: Well, he has some help with both of those two. I mean,
2: yeah, and presumably her turning into a bird, probably. I can't all wait.
1: Home. I can't wait for the Valinorian Pimp My Ride sequence that we're going to get uh with with Bingelot. It's going to be awesome. Um, uh, but, but but yeah, anyway. But if you want yeah. another
2: season it's going to have that magic okay. Yeah, just... you're right.
1: You're right. Arando, we will get some things. Uh, no question. Um but um uh, yeah, okay. So but anyway, the point is this is this is this is a major moment, right? And we have uh, we have a lot of things to uh, uh, to do uh, to do here. Um, so, so what are the boundaries? What does Luthien do, and how that is different from what other elves can do or do
2: do? One obvious contrast we're going to see is Finrod is going to attempt a song duel with Sauron and it's going right. to go very badly for him. Yes. And then in the next episode, Luthien yes. shows up and there is a song duel and it goes a lot differently for her. Yes. So song dueling is very much about the inherent power of the person singing, mm-hmm. which is why if you put a Maya in there, they'd have an advantage. Right. So right. like Sauron has an advantage of a Finrod in the duel and Finrod's the underdog and he tries really hard, but he doesn't make it is yeah. not an underdog compared to Sara. No.
1: He's no.
2: just not. She she has enough innate power to be on his level. Not the same, like he's a full Maya. He studied under Ale. She doesn't have any of that advantage. But she has something. <laughs> she
1: does have something. The other thing she has though is um innocence. Right, I mean, there's this is important. Like, wh- what takes down Finrod? Right, he right. does great, it, but Finron where does he lose? He loses
2: of Aqualande.
1: Kinslang, exactly, which
2: wasn't right? even his fault. He wasn't I know. even
1: there. I know, but still, like, anyway, Luthien, she she has no such metaphysical chinks in her armor, right? Um, you know, she is uh uh, sorry, the wife that keeps popping into my head um which is not wholly inappropriate but it's really funny is uh, uh a Milton line from his poem uh, his play Comus uh where he talks about the sunclad power of chastity um but it's like that like her 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 the her the power of her innocence and good like her innocence there, there's a purity about Luthien that certainly Finrod has lost um Uh, he's too even you think about it's it's not even about guilt with him it's about grief right um he's scarred finrod is scarred and Sauron can play on those he can can make use of those scars right um they become uh, sort of weaknesses in his metaphysical armor right luthien has does not have those um uh she that's what i mean by innocence and why i'm thinking of chastity she has that um uh she has that power um, that's why
3: she's final girl
1: <laughs> what
3: <laughs> so um, it's a trope in horror movies the the oh, final right. girl is the is, final girl is the horror final movies. girl because she's a virgin and that's why she survives if you are a virgin woman you have a much higher uh, survival uh, rate of horror films, where it, virgin men typically not so much. But you know,
1: it's very medieval, actually. I mean that that's like a deep, deep cultural trope right there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Sunclad power of chastity, man. I guess see, it's a thing. The horror movies people know it. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly what what they were thinking of but it doesn't matter what they were thinking of like see there you go it's just it's all there um, it's myth yeah yeah um, exactly exactly um, so so yeah she's got she's got some 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 several things going with for her uh, in addition as you say Marie the whole Maya thing right she is not just another elf um, now. Um, How do we... Now, but it's not just that she has this kind... So, the conflict between Finrod and Sauron is one of the... uh, No. I think it is the single case that is most... Famous, like of of overt magic. When people are thinking of an example of overt magic being done, um, you know, sort of on stage, as it were, in Tolkien's stories, the song duel between Finrod and Sauron is like always. It's just like in everybody's top three, right? Of exa- go to examples to 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 think of explicit magic being woven um, visibly. Um, and of course because it gets there's described.
2: There's nothing else going on there. There's <laughs> yes. you can't say like they fought an actual duel with right. weapons and then someone was using like magic to help them out. They're standing there singing at each other. That is yeah. the duel. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it clearly yeah. has to be magic.
1: And it's fascinating the way in which um Tolkien describes this in an almost like he basically he gives us visual visual descriptions, right? Uh, uh, he, he he describes it in. I mean, I was I was tempted. I think I will use the word. He describes it in an almost cinematic way, right? We get these like cutscenes. He describes the cutscenes, right? Um, that we get of the images and the, uh, uh, the the scenes that you know the thought that they are putting into their song. That's where the duel. In the text, that's what the duel is, right? It is, a, it is, a, it is a duel. It is, a, it is a conflict of warring images, um, and conflicting ideas, and those are visually described. Um, and I say visually described because it's not just that he he tells us what they look like, but it's chiefly um, sensory metaphors that he uses, right? He he, he describes the, um, you know, what the Beaches of Alqualondë looked and sounded like, and everything. Um, but um, uh, yeah, um, so there's that. But Luthien does more than just now. We've we've had we've we've given her that as well, right? Uh, you know, Nick, as you said, we gave her a song battle with Sauron uh, in the episode after Finrod. Um, but she also does a bunch of other things. As well, right? Um, uh, now, I think we have, right, I think we've got a slide about this, don't we? There we go. In fact, it's the next slide. Magical stuff that happens in season six, right? Now, not all of this is Luthien. Um, we've got a bunch of uh, evil magic that's happening. But even just focusing on Luthien for a second, we've got the healings. She heals Baron three times let's see she definitely heals him after the prison after well, his,
2: the... his arrival in his ar- oh wait Dorian. his
1: weariness and everything yeah 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 so she helps yeah. him out there and then yeah. from
2: the prison um, and then when he's and then shot, when he's shot yeah. and then actually also when he gets his hand cut off
1: to stop off, the I mean. arterial bleed yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so like
2: yeah. three times
1: 3 to 4 ish 3 to
2: 4 yeah yeah, yeah. cuz after the prison like he's not that wounded. She thinks he's wounded, but he's
1: just grieving right. rabbit Right. 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 That's true. That's true. Um, but anyway, but still, it's a yeah.
2: there's multiple a lot of
1: healings. magical healings uh, that go on. And it's clearly magical. So now, Huan does go fetch some Athalos, right? So again, there's some technology involved uh, there, too. But but there's no question that Baron is up and around again pretty quickly after getting shot in the chest uh with an arrow so um there does seem to be more than just some um good herblore uh involved uh canine herblore uh involved in that and then as you say uh, there's only a certain amount of time she has t- i mean getting your hand cut off is not a joke <laughs> right i mean that's that's um uh, fairly certain death, fairly quickly, um, uh, and she prevents that. So,
2: I mean, not just cut off, but bitten off. Bitten
1: off, yeah. Like yeah.
2: The, the chances of gangrene setting in are really high.
3: Exactly crazy. right. Like yeah, even if he
1: doesn't bleed out, right? Yeah,
3: there had been some discussion of the wound being cauterized by the flames coming from inside the belly of the beast
2: right Um, right we were having after the bite fiery yeah um it it can be a little bit helpful but still it's a serious wound
3: i mean he should go immediately into shock shock no matter what Mm -hmm. yes
1: yeah yeah
3: um yes
1: yes um but anyway like clearly there is healing that's going on here and um so we need to see how she manages that. Then we've got the various magic cloaks involved in this season, of which there are several, right? Um, we have the Thuringwethil cloak, which we've already been establishing. We've got the, uh, the Wolf Hame of Drogluon, which we haven't established, but we'll need to. Um, and then we have, of course, Luthien's own cloak, her own hair cloak, um, when she does her Rapunzel thing uh, in the treehouse and weaves the cloak from her own hair that she magically makes grow uh, and again like that, that scene by itself is just like a kind of magic you, you don't see almost anywhere else in the Silmarillion um, uh, it's very unusual um, so um, but in addition to that we have other things, uh, the uh, the shade of Isilinel, right? That's a, a not to be overlooked uh, as an important piece of magic in this uh, uh, in this season. Um, the enchantment of Anil, um that we've been kind of preparing for for like two seasons now, basically, right? Yeah. Um, uh, as we we wanted to show the spell of bottomless dread applied in numerous different ways right to show um and anil was always one of our uh no wait we had four it was the four uh the four prisoners the four prisoners of angband scenarios that we were that we were showing right you know the uh uh the we had one
2: rog escapes
1: Right, we had the one—the one, the one who escapes and is
2: right. That's wrong. Totally and clear,
1: right? And then, then we,
2: Anil escapes, but is in this. In this is used as, yeah. used as a mole. He uses a mole
1: unknowingly um, to himself. Right. Yeah.
2: Um, and then we have Eignar's wife.
1: Yep. Um, or uh, Angrod's wife.
2: Sorry, Angrod's wife. Right. Yeah. Wrong, wrong yeah. one. Right. Um, right. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. And so yep. she. Uh, doesn't really escape she's more let go and right. she's completely enthralled and right. kind of breaks it but kind of dies yeah um, so full on spell of almost dread for her and then we have Diriel who is Corifan's wife who never escapes
1: who never escapes so right so we want to show that
2: a prisoner and the four different the
1: outcomes yeah, yeah to kind of illustrate what happens to the elves that like the the range of what can happen to the elves who are captured there yeah yeah um Uh, yes, yes. Um, uh, cool. Um, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) briefly distracted by the conversation happening in the YouTube chat. It's all good. We'll, We'll all make it through this together. Okay. Um, so, uh, Thorin Gwethel is... intriguingly like almost like the foil of Luthien in the first half of the season
3: almost right it it would have been interesting to engineer something more around them Um, Mm -hmm. it would have required an immense amount of Kind of wrestling the story around to do what we wanted it to yes. do, and yes. I, I just we wouldn't didn't be able to follow the text as closely. Yeah, not yeah. even close. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, it, granted, it, it the problem isn't Wethel's story; it's Luthien's, right? Like right. Wethel we could do or anything we wanted with her. She just has to be dead by the time <laughs> right. she's dead. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but the the problem is Luthien, and and how on earth do we set that up as some kind of a uh, you know a confrontation? When happen when Luthien Luthien right. isn't about that. Like that's not her goal right. to defeat somebody.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. We, we don't want Thorin to be like a, a you know, the, a, a personal antagonist to Luthien in that way. Um, but she is conspicuously a, like the female opposite number and the one who's doing all the magic, right? I mean, she's, she's, um, I mean, if you look at our list here, she's like the number two Performer of magic in the whole season, right? Because um, even Sauron's necromancy, originally he, she shows him how to do it, right? So she's involved even in the ne- the original necromancy. She's the one who then does the Shade of Islanel thing, right? Uses her magic to deceive uh, Gorlim. Um, she's the one who enthralls Isle, right? Um, so that's that's all uh, that's all her there. And then of course it's her magic that Luthien is using, uh, in order to fly in bat shape to, uh, to Angband. Um, so yeah, like she's, when it comes to like Feats of Magic performed in season six. The was a strong number two behind Luthien. And they're the two like central female characters, uh of you know, on the good and the bad side. So that's what I mean when I say that she's like her foil. It's not like again, it's it's not like we're setting up a grudge match between the two of them that Luthien is gonna you know, she's gonna be like a boss that Luthien has to overcome or something like that. Um but the two of them are 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 uh very much associated, uh, in this way. At least it's kind of how it happens. Um, uh, and I think that that's, I-, I think it's something we shouldn't be afraid of. Like I, you know, especially the Island L scene, right? Thorin Gwethel, in a sense, like Thorin Gwethel's, um, apex really is going to come there. Like her success with Gorlim is kind of her high watermark mark in this season, which is the end of the line for her. Right. Um, she's going to accomplish something. She's going to, she's going to yeah. destroy almost all, uh, of the, 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 the outlaw band. And therefore she's going to be the way, if Sauron is being charged with subduing, uh, Dorthonian, she achieves it essentially by, yeah. you know, again, Baron is, still there and uh you know uh annoying but it's just one
3: dude and he runs away right Uh, um so um anyway evan uh suggests that thern is the black swan to luthien's white swan which is an interesting comparison it is
1: an interesting comparison right but of course if we think about our theme right um Thuringwethel is all about placing them in bondage, right? I mean, she she captures Gorlim. Um, So watching, it's so like the 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 great feat of magic that we see her perform. The uh, she's going to take the form of the Shade of Imlael, like she can disguise herself. Is that how we're handling that? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So what she's doing is somehow confusing Gorlim's mind so that Gorlam sees Islanel right? when he's looking at what right. is actually Theron
0: Right,
1: right. So whether she's changing her own shape or whether she's actually just... Illusory. Right, uh, uh, like dominating his mind in some way.
2: Is... And I'm not sure the viewer's going to know which one it is yeah.
1: because we see yeah. it from
2: Gorlam's point of view. So as far as Gorlam is right. concerned, he sees Islanel.
1: Right, right. But in
2: real life, does Theron even know what Islanel looks like? Right. Without pulling the image from gorlin's mind, like so, mm-hmm. she has to be somehow feeding off right. of him on some level.
3: I mean, hey, if the salt vampire can do it,
2: <laughs> from the original Star Trek, yeah, that's what I was like. It pretty much comes down to that episode of Star Trek, and yeah, right.
3: Right. And and Karita, uh, definitely magic bat powers over magic hair powers, no question. Yeah, especially if magic hair powers.
1: Flight is is like flight versus invisibility, right? I'm going with flight too over invisibility. I think, but uh, yeah, yeah. The magic Uh, invisible. Corey, I don't
2: think anyone ever thought that you wanted to be invisible.
1: No, no, that's (laughs) not exactly what I normally go for, right? Yeah, you're right, you're right. But to fly, No, that would be something better. That would be that would be that would be good. I agree. I agree. Um, uh, okay, so the um, I would almost forgotten about that one, um, Finrod, disguise, the disguise, the orc disguises, right? How um, how mechanical? <laughs> how much of that is going to be uh, you know uh, prosthetics, and how much of that's going to be CGI? You know, like uh, how, how how much of that is practical effect? That is uh, dressing up. Cunningly, uh, and how much of that is going to be Finrod's magic. Again, even the boundary there is unclear in the text.
2: And I, I think the whole point is that we shouldn't really know how much of it is we stole their costumes and put on some makeup right. versus magic. Whereas when Baron and Luthien do it and become Dragluin and Theron Gwethel, there's no question that's magic because they've suddenly turned it into a, right. a wolf. Whereas right. you could maybe disguise yourself as an orc with just a little little makeup. Right.
3: Right. I mean Sam and Frodo somehow manage it.
2: Helmets. Helmets really help. Fainsies. <laughs> <easy>. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you put a helmet <laughs> on. You can't tell oh them, no more now. <laughs> right.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um but again, so I I get that, that it certainly is another place where we have a choice to make, right? Of we could just make a, just entirely a Salmon Frodo and Mordor situation, right? They put on armor and they put on helmets and um, uh, and pass themselves off as orcs. Um, whereas the text, certainly the text of the Lay of Lathian, makes it explicitly clear that it is Finrod's magic that is pr- like the, they do put on the armor of the orcs, but it's Finrod's magic that is changing their their shape. Such like Sauron. Takes it off right through, uh, uh, you know, um, casts Dispel Magic and they're revealed uh, as themselves, presumably without being undressed of the armor first. So, um, again, There's the no magical. Magic.
2: Dispel is- Magic. It's- it explicitly states in the text that when they get thrown in that dungeon, he strips them naked first. So well, yes, but not before he. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Eventually, the armor. But I'm saying it, it wasn't the removal of the armor that was like what? Oh, look, an elf lord. It was it was the dispelling that that Thu does that um, revealed them.
3: Yeah, dispel magic is the most op spell that one can <laughs> <Yes>. acquire. It's <coughs> just, just it super good as when applied at the correct times. Very true. Very true. Um,
1: though, on so many, such a large percentage of days, quite useless, as it turns out. But uh, yes. it's, it's, it's challenging in that way. Okay. But, but um,
3: you'll want it if you don't have you'll it. You'll want
1: it if you haven't got it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Now, interesting. You included talking Huan, which, of course, certainly does have a sort of a magical element to it, right? Or really a sort of a fairy tale element to it, which by the way, we haven't even used that phrase, but I think it's best to just sort of acknowledge that, right? The story of Beren and Luthien is the most fairy tale story in all of the Silmarillion. Again, Eärendil has its elements. uh, No question. Um, With the, you know, the voyages of the Mariner and the magic boat and all that kind of thing. But Beren and Luthien is, um, is, uh, um, very much um, uh, is very much a, a fairy tale kind of story um, in ways that most of the Silver stories just are not. Um, and so the talking dog, even the cloaks, right? The like I'm going to put on the wolf hame and become a wolf is a very fairy tale kind of thing to happen. Um, uh, much different than anything that you see in like I mean Turin doesn't get in on that kind of action right there's 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 no moment in any of those other stories when someone is like well let us just put on the the hame of this other creature and take his form like that's not on the table in any other stories except the Baron and Luthien story um, as I say it really is it really is a, a very different it's like a really a, a sort of a different genre of story but um, Anyway, okay, so, um, and I think we just we have to kind of acknowledge that. I mean, I, I think we just it's okay to kind of lean into that to to be true to the uh, to the story. I think it's okay, you know, we don't have to we don't have to um, to turn away from that to try to tone that down. Um, you know, to give like some other. I don't know reason or explanation behind like who I'm talking it's never really explained right uh I mean it's prophesied that he's going to speak 3 times but like okay um why how um why only 3 why then right so I, you know like it's it's um none of those questions are questions that are answered in any way by the text and again that's very fairy tale Right, um, one of the things that fairy tales tend to do is resist answering exactly those types of questions. You don't ask those kinds of questions, right? You're told that the great, you know, the the faithful hound is going to speak three times. End of story. Like that's that's what's going to happen, right? Don't ask questions. It's like asking the question of like why if you. You know, ring the bell, uh, the, you know, someone over there is gonna die. Like, n- you don't ask, like, the, what's the mechanism that connects one cause with it? It's just those are the facts, those are the, those are the framing facts of the story, right? Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, Brian, I agree, it is more like miracle than magic. There's at least, there's again, there's sort of a boundary. There, that it would seem almost to almost across, but um, can we talk about the hair cloak? Are we ready to talk about the hair cloak? Because I think the hair cloak of all of the Luthian's magic thing—that's the hardest to do. Even the healings, we just she just sings, right? She sings, and he gets better, and we can live with that, right? I mean, based on what we've seen already. You know she it's part of her whole bag, right I mean like the positive effect that she it's it's like the human version of making flowers spring out of the ground right I mean that she can you know lay her hands on someone and sing and they get better. I don't think that will even look weird uh, really um, uh what i see by the way with baron's hand right so baron's got his hand bitten off whether we actually show his wrist charred and cauterized by um uh, i think it's probably better because nobody really likes a nice arterial bleed uh on screen like okay some people really do apparently but um anyway like i i think we can probably do without that um um we don't want to go all the way up to TVMA on like Baron's spurting wrist, you know, um, uh, get a gore rating, uh, 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 for the show at that point. Um, but anyway, so, so maybe better to have him a a bit charred, but in any case, he's going to be in agony and in shock. Right. And just having her ease him. Right. You know, she just like, she sings over him and he like, obviously his pain lessens, and he falls asleep. Right. Is kind of, I think what we can show. And then he, you know, she's cradling him, um, in her, and then the Eagles come right. Uh, and take the both of them. Um, so I, even the healings I think are not a huge problem. The hair cloak, the hair cloak is a challenge, a significant <laughs> challenge, I think. Um, so how do we, what do you, what do you think? Um, um, Dave, what are your thoughts on the on the on the the weaving of the Rapunzel hair cloak?
0: Man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know I, uh, <clears throat> I liked it. Did you look at any of the like the concept art? I what did, yeah.
1: Yeah. See, we have got some of that, right? Okay, let's see. Uh, we got Wolf we'll come back to the Wolfhames. Okay, all right, so here's the prose version here of the cloak stuff. So um we show her with long hair and then later with short hair and a cloak made of hair. So that's the cop-out version, right? The, like, we implied she cut off her hair and made a cloak out of it, right? Uh, and there was probably magic involved, but whatever, right? Um, that's the that's that's the pretty serious cop-out version. Uh, that seems
0: the, like a... That's a decent backup.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's at least like not offensive. Version. It yeah. is a coward's version, but it, you know, like, we could do worse, I suppose, than that. Um... She could sing the cloak into existence. She, does she have a spinning wheel and a loom? Right? Do we do we do, do we need to give her tools up there in her tree house in order to uh, in order to do this? So we have some some concept art here. Uh, these are just little sketches that were made by uh, by Catherine, as I recall from Catherine's description. Uh, the sort of the difference between these two versions was um, one was very uh, uh, like uh, sort of like hectic, like she's singing and dancing and her hair is swirling around. And as she's singing and dancing and her hair is swirling around, it's getting longer and longer and longer and all like swirling in this huge billowing cloud around her. And so we're showing her hair grow and giving that sense through dance and song of her, uh, of her increasing her, uh, her hair and uh, versus her hair just sort of like quietly growing until it's around. So the second uh, sketch there of Luthien just like sort of covered in hair, right? um, Is uh, uh, of just like a a much more sedate, like she's sitting and singing and like her her hair is growing longer until there's like lots of hair all over the place. Um,
0: uh, Can I I just say, I don't know about you guys, I'm definitely leaning in the less is more direction here. I'm I could be persuaded that more is more, but I don't conceive it. Uh, I, I'm kinda...
3: How shocked is my face right now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the other question,
1: as I say, was tools. Do we show her spinning? Do we show her weaving? Um, uh, Does that make there it less a...
0: magical?
2: Well, that's the concept art on the next slide. So if you want to.
1: Um, oh, wait. Yeah. The weaving one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got that one. I got that okay. one. Yep, um, yeah, Yeah, um, yeah so... Uh, um, I... So there was a spirited... I forget who wrote the spirited... Uh, who wrote the TED Talk on weaving. Um,
2: That's from Adola.
1: Adola, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a spirited defense of weaving. Um, uh, and I think she's quite right in her reading uh, that this is uh, not only is weaving a very traditional and indeed a very traditional feminine uh, sort of magic focus. um, But we see that uh, in Tolkien in various places. And I agree. Like that's um, the magic of weaving is definitely a thing. And can I also say that um, using, what is this episode five the treehouse episode 5 yeah um using episode 5 as an opportunity to set up i mean we're going to we're we're going to like get uh, vire is going to be present right in mandos when we get there um and the halls of mandos full of the you know the the storied webs right of vire uh weaving's a huge mandos theme um uh you know Mando's place, not Mando's person, Um, a huge Vire thing and a huge Mando's place thing, theme. Right. So the weaving, if we did introduce some element of weaving that would anticipate and sort of prepare for um, the uh, uh, the um, the whole Mando scene at the end. So we could do something clever there, um, as a kind of anticipation, um, showing a sort of a foreshadowing, which wouldn't be clear. Like it wouldn't be obvious what the significance of that was until we got there. Right. But it would be kind of cool to see her there in Mandos. Um, we could even show like Vire's loom could be, you know, could be there. We could see Vire at her loom or at least just see Vire's loom. Um, and, um, it would be kind of cool to see Luthien herself weaving, um, in anticipation of the weaving. Like you know, even showing like something in the pattern of her weaving that kind of connects the, you know, the the, the two would be would be fun. This is a, um, that's
0: a, this is a pretty good sales pitch. Like okay.
1: This. All right. So now, but the hair thing is still just weird. Like it's visually strange it's something that I think would work really well in anime, but outside of anime does not really work very well. Uh, like showing an, an actual actress with like magically growing hair, I think is just going to be weird. Like it's, it's, um, it's going
0: to look like a horror film.
1: The
3: longer, (laughs) yeah. The longer you linger on it, the weirder it will look. However, if you are going through these kind of like, fade like you you're fading from one shot to another, and you're only seeing each shot and each in each shot she's doing something a little bit different, right? And you're only seeing each shot for like a for like a, a, a few seconds. Mm-hmm. I think you you could do it like it, it should we're
0: doing the weaving montage
3: yeah but you can do it like it doesn't it's, like a good weaving montage we, we, so we're a big montage people around here so yeah there's yeah. two
2: main steps to the process right is you have to turn the hair into thread so yeah. that's what either a spindle or a spinning wheel is for and then once you've got a spool of thread you then need to weave it to make the cloth that will become the cloak so you would you could show those different parts of the process when you're saying when you're cutting in and cutting out of things and you don't necessarily need to see her with 20 feet long hair at any point in this process the fact that her hair is magically growing long she can then cut it off use it in her process and it keeps growing so she can like have swaths of hair that are like this long and feed them into the thread and it's it's not like she needs a 20 foot piece in order for it to work I mean Wool is maybe this long for share it? True, true. Sheep don't have don't don't
1: have you know to let the fleece of right. of sheep so grow out uh, in, to be you know six feet long. Yeah,
2: exactly. So the necessity of a giant quantity, like a Lady Godiva level of hair.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: isn't really necessary as long as she's cutting it as she goes,
1: essentially. Right,
2: right, right. Um, Um, But to get enough to do that rope to go all the way down the tree, like, that's going to be a lot.
1: Yeah, it is going to be a lot. Um, I I think a nice little montage, a nice little magical spinning and weaving montage could be cool. Um, I like, again, I like the weaving thing with the opportunity for making connections, right? Like the um, the um, the really cool thing, I think, would be to have when we get to Mando's, the um, the the web that is on the loom at that point should look uh, just like Luthien's uh, weaving, right? Um, uh, or at least be, be there. There's, there should be a clear similarity between the two of them,
2: right? It could be the picture. Of Luthien making her. Of Luthien that that Luthien. Was,
3: yeah. That I was actually thinking like that. That it could be
2: Luthien in the treehouse. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, the other thing. This is happening in a treehouse, and we've determined that the treehouse is really a tree that has, like grown around and to form this little cell that she is in. So there's Loom. not a lot of
1: challenging like,
2: space yes. or light yeah. or you know. So as far as doing all of this, yeah. The, dark hair and the shadow might kind of blend in a little bit
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: I don't know if that makes it better or worse I mean the... well
1: looms are not small um and I know you can have small looms and she's but not making you can't
2: make cloth that's big enough to make a cloak the, right the width of the loom is the width of the fabric that's how this works
1: exactly exactly uh yeah, <laughs> so, um, can, uh, the tree help? That is to say, so yeah, there are, okay, well, there are several levels of silliness here, right? Um, one level of silliness involves the like, um, so mom and dad, I'm stuck up in the tree house. Um, could could I get like a loom or something on board? Like could you send up a loom and a spinning wheel? Don't ask questions. Just uh deliver a custom fitted to this really cramped space loom uh up here for reasons. Right. Is weird. Like that's weird and silly, right? Um
3: Do we have Dyron doing that in this?
1: I mean, look, we could, but He's seriously. To
2: deliver items to her. A
1: different level of silly would be, hey, Diron, can you smuggle a loom out here? Right? Like, and then Dairon, like, sneaking out with a loom under his jacket. Like, it's weird. Like, that's, it's silly. Like, it's silly. Um, but, I mean, um, presumably,
3: any hole that you could pass a loom through is large enough to pass a loom through. <laughs> yeah, you'd think. You'd, yeah.
1: You'd, oh, we really have to think. Right? Um, uh, so when I say can the tree help, what I mean is, could we have her first singing, like, talking to the tree, right? Um, and the tree has already molded itself in order to make her prison, right? And so if it can mold itself to, like, help like make a loom and spindle for her um, out of its branches, uh, like, that would not be unlike what has already been done. And... Um, uh, would help get the tree off the hook as being complicit with her grumpy dad uh, <laughs> imprisoning her in the first place right um, uh, anyway I'm just I, that also would be a way to handle the space issue right if the tree itself were forming um, forming a loom and spindle for her
2: because yeah, part of the deal is we want this scene to be very much fairy right like there's yes. nothing about this that should feel technology based. Right. So having a loom made out of the branches of the tree would definitely lend to the fairy element of this. That's what
1: I was thinking. And, and again, and, yeah. and and the whole, uh, we, we talked about this, about her relationship with the tree, right? Exactly. That we didn't want so her just to break that's out of part prison. of the
2: back and forth between her and the tree to be able to have a loom. And I mean a drop spindle is really easy. She could have had it on her person when she went up there. <laughs> right.
1: And of all the things for a tree to generate magically, a spindle is not would not be challenging, right? That would not. Would not so be if, you,
2: if she just needs a tree-built loom and a drop spindle, she can probably do this without any mm-hmm. outside help and right. therefore it feels a little bit more magical and integrated into her circumstances oh, any, any other love, way
1: I, to get a loom up there is just going to be yeah. comical like weird yeah.
0: and and doing it without a loom um uh, uh just like weaving magically in the air not, gonna look, it's not right little...
1: unless like basically if we want her to make it out of her hair <laughs> at all i think we need to give her a loom because if she's just going to be like I am magically making my hair grow. Then I'm cutting off my hair. Then I'm taking my hair and I'm singing and it's like forms itself into a cloak like this. You might as well just have her sing and form a cloak out of shadow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, literally yeah. form it out of shadow. Yeah. That would be That'd... cooler than her hair at that point. Like, let's just That'd... cut the hair out entirely. Uh, if yeah. That would make be, her sing
0: it. that would be preferable. Although uh, all of those things are, da- are dangerously close to fireballs. <laughs> yes. Yes. They are uh they are and but um
1: it, with my um uh with the addition of the uh tree forming itself into materials uh
0: and tools. No, this there, is I like this idea a lot. Where, where that the, then the, right. Yeah. Yeah, the, the where the the forming of the hair into the cloak is like pretty straight. It's like it feel this feels authentic in the sense that um the forming of the hair into the cloak is like in its you know like it's not being performed magically with special effects it's being it's actually being weaved with a loom right. um we're we're leaning into like the subtle fact that weaving itself is associated with magic traditionally mm-hmm. in fairy tale and then but the way we get to the loom is is itself magical it's, it's right. through this tree Uh, And this tree and the tree we've already um, established as magical and and there to help. And it's a
1: kind of song magic, which is very much that is not just singing and conjuring or creating something out of thin air. Right. There's a real tree there. So through her song, she's interacting with the tree and. Coming to an agreement with the tree, right? And the tree is willing to help her, and her song and the will of the tree forms the stuff, right? Similarly, her hair actually grows, like that's normal. That's a normal thing, right? And so she sings to her hair, and she makes her hair grow even longer. That's that's again, that's in. She's not just conjuring or creating something. She is, um, uh, she is creating um, this. And yeah, you're right, Odalana. Oh. Odonna's here. Cool, um, Odonna. That the 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 tree is female as well. So yes, we get that whole female magic moment, kind of intensified, the cooperative female magic, right, between the tree and Luthien. Um, by the way, do we need to do the rope? Do we need to do the rope, or would the tree just like be totally let complicit? her down?
3: Yeah, because yeah. the tree
1: could just let her down. If we if she if, turns if the tree into is a slide, is, is is her accomplice? Like we don't necessarily need a rope
2: yeah i think the the cloak is more important than the rope as far as things she needs to have
1: in yes. the future moving on yes. from this
2: scene. the scene that the rope is literally just to get out of the tree
1: Exactly. Exactly. And
2: again, I mean, it's, it's cool
1: for like, you know, Rapunzel reference reasons, right? That, that, that sense that Tolkien gives of like, ah, look, it's like the true story that underlies the fairy tale, the confused fairy tale that came later on about Rapunzel letting down her hair. Um, I I like that. That's a fun element, but I I don't, I I agree. I don't think we, we absolutely have to have that. Um, um, we get enough, I think, Rapunzel element by showing her growing her hair and 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 spinning it, um, and um, uh, yeah. Besides I, the, and I'm I'm sure I said this before. This sounds like a, this sounds to me like a thought I've had before. Um, but the way in which we're having her win over, like sing to and win over the tree, like where she she's not escaping the tree, she's recruiting the tree to her side, right? Is very, is exactly like what she's gonna do with Huan, right? She's gonna she's gonna talk to and sing to Huan and win him over too, um, so that, honestly, Namo as well, right? Exactly. This is kind of what she does, right? Um, uh, so to have the tree be her first accomplice uh, in this way is um, um, uh, is I think I, cool. So so I could do without the rope. Let's just have the tree set her down. You know, um, the tree could lower her down on a branch um, once she has finished with her cloak, Um, Uh, by the way. And then at the end, we show the tree closing back up into the original prison shape. Right. So like (laughs) nobody knows that she's gone. Yeah.
3: Alana uh, says that uh, a a distaff, uh, a drop spindle or a distaff were traditionally lovers gifts. So that actually kind of fits. Sort of, in the wrong way for Diron, right? <laughs> right? Right, right. Um, yeah,
1: I mean, so how are, were, were we? Were we going to have Diron involved? Did we decide to involve
2: Dyrón here? Yeah. He definitely has a conversation with her while she's imprisoned in the tree. So we we did keep him in this, this part of the story. Whether or not we need him to be delivering things depends on choices to make.
3: I'm I'm leaving out a key component of this. Uh, Sorry. Um, Karita says maybe Dairon can bring the drop spindle. It's much much easier to smuggle than a loom. Um, And I immediately put that in my internal adaptation and forgot that other people might not have done so. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. No, that's uh, uh, that's that's exactly... Right. But yeah, exactly since we do
2: it, no. have him coming to see her anyway, if he brings her a gift... Because he's trying to, like, say, I'm really sorry that you ended up in this prison. I did not foresee this outcome.
1: Right. Right. Um, and making him actively complicit with his silence, I think, would be fine. Like, he's... Like, that he figures out that... <laughs> There's, there's an escape in progress, right? And doesn't say anything. Uh, right. We were I think, gonna yeah.
2: have him explicitly let her go at the yeah. end, yeah. In the sense that he is well aware that she's running away, and he is not raising the alarm. He's letting her go be herself and right. do her thing. Right.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Is not think- Melian in on it too? If I recall,
2: I think he's sitting next to Melian, and they're both like, "Yep, nothing to see here." <laughs> that's
1: right. <laughs> it's, it's a good thing Luthien is still in maximum security. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Everyone's on board with this. Thingol um, would be
3: so mad if he if he you know if anything ever happened to Luthien.
1: Oh no! Right? Yeah. Everybody better agree to make sure that doesn't happen.
3: Um, Keeping things from Thingol works out super well. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's. I think that's. Uh, that's well established. Okay. So, I think, I I think I I think this works. I think we've got the 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 and but sing but it's but there's going to be song involved right. This is going to be a singing thing. Um, she's going to be singing to the tree. She's going to be singing to her hair. She's going to be singing while she weaves, right? So that again, it's not just like her hair always has this property of <laughs> making you shadowy and invisible. You know, um, she's imbuing the weave with that. Uh, power while she's going. So again, that that's but that's again a song thing um, that we show happening. Um, back to um, the uh, wolf hames and bat cloaks. Okay, um, so questions. Do we just show them shrug on cloak and pelt and then poof, they become wolf and bat? Or is there something more to the transformation? Um, we've shown Thor and shift in and out of bat form before. Will there be any differences when Luthien does it? And what difference, if any, is uh, between this and Finrod and his companions disguising themselves? Okay. Um, all right.
3: It, like, Luthian's transformation should look exactly like Thurngwethel.
1: Yes, I don't think there should be. Now, one of the things that... Alright. I don't think we have any choice here. Um, it, I mean, unless we're just going to ditch the Bat-Hame entirely, uh, uh, which we can't. Um, I don't think we have any choice. What I dislike is I making... Thorin Gwethel's cloak, just a magic cloak that turns you into a bat, feels reductive. Like that power is clearly part, at least partially, Thorin Gwethel's power. Right? She doesn't just happen to have um, like a D and D style magic bat cloak. Um, uh, which, if she dropped it or like you know sent it to the dry cleaners or something, and somebody else put it on, we would have exactly the same powers as it had with her. Like. That's the reductive element that I, don't, that I dislike about this and that I wish we could avoid. I don't see how to avoid it. Um, we did a lot of work for years building up to this point uh, yeah. to make Thor and Gwethel have a cloak uh, and associate her cloak with turning into a bat, all with Luthian in mind. And we, I, I'm not looking to take that back. I'm just saying it makes me uncomfortable in that way.
2: The thing I can make you more uncomfortable though, because oh, if you want to think about what Luthien would have to do to assume Theringwethel's powers, like, would you like her to maybe like drink blood from her corpse or something? Like right? That? Like, there's ways we yeah. could. Yeah, there are mechanisms we could
3: invoke here, yeah. and it's worse. Um, right. Oh, so but nice. Just point. Point of order. Point of order. <laughs> I would say that the the transformation is the transformation itself is a power that Thuring Wethel has imbued on her cloak but it need you need to be able to tap into a sufficient power source in order to do it right like I can't turn into I can't throw on Thuring Wethel's coat and turn into a bat right Thuring Wethel can do it because she's a Maya and she can tap into her inner power to perform the transformation so the, So the cloak the, is more
1: like a focus item than it is a source yes. of power.
3: Now, okay. whether or not we'll see that, I don't know. I don't know whether or not.
1: That would, that would argue against the poof version, right? Like you put on the cloak and then puff of smoke and then bat, right? Um, yeah, because Luthien has to do something. Yeah. yeah. Luthien has to do something. She's put on the cloak and sing presumably right sing herself into a bat um that actually does kind of i think maybe convey the whole focus item thing right if mm. she puts on the cloak and then is like holding up the cloak and she's singing a particularly uh, so okay phil well first phil, she has to we, cast we a, a batty song I, we need a batty song
3: yeah first bat she song. needs to to sing a spell of um of uh, identify magic item, right? And then <laughs> she,
1: right, she she has to go through the attunement process first right, with the. Clone. Exactly. Right, yeah, yes. I got gotcha, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So not right, but she anyway. So she she sings a she sings a she sings a bat song. Um. Right
3: and then <laughs> <laughs>
1: to, to, I don't know exactly yes. there are many options several options um, I was personally thinking of Sesame Street but that will work too um, uh, uh, yes I was thinking of the Count's Batty Batty Bat song uh, was what was in my head uh, at that point uh, neither one of them was uh, perfectly harmonious with this scene Um, uh, but (laughs) Karina I knew you'd be thinking about that same same thing I'm so unsurprised Um, but um, anyway right okay so by showing her singing so we know the power is coming from her but like now she's singing this clearly somehow Phil has made this clearly bat themed song and now she turns herself into a bat it Um, should be
3: Thurm theme music
1: Thorin Gwethel's theme music. There you go. There
3: like Tolkas sings, sings his own theme music when he goes into battle, right? Right. Like his his own yeah. fanfare, right? Um,
2: okay. This is this is working a little better now because it's not the action of putting on the cloak that turns right. you into a bat. Anyone yes. can wear the cloak and they just stand can wear there. the cloak, but yeah. you have to do something to become a bat. That Thorin Gwethel did it yeah. by just, you know, it was, run, it was her So thing. there was no. Yeah outward yeah. sign, but that's because she was really used to it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it was her cloak.
1: But the fact that she, Luthien, turns mm-hmm. into a bat who looks like Thuringwethil, right, in bat form, um, mm-hmm. is still going to show that there is some derivative of Thuring Gwethil here. It is, there is still a sense in which she is using Thuring magic, using Thuring focus. I mean, it's not just Luthien... Creating a Thorin esque illusion, right? There's there's still something right. there. So, but but yeah, but I agree. I think that that works pretty I, I well. I think
2: that Luthien song does need to have the word "flitter mouse" in it.
1: Yep, yeah. yep, yeah. F- flitter mouse. There you go. Yeah, mm. at least that's clearly the title of the track, mm. uh, right? I mean, no no question. Flit- yes. Flitter Luthien mouse. becomes
2: a cute little bat.
1: A cute little <laughs> flitter mouse. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> because she's Luthien. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, now.
3: Now we come we, to the gross part.
1: Yeah. did We talked about, I know, I remember objecting to this before. Did we just skip it and punt it until we have to, so we did just avoid this entirely and kick the can down to this moment, did we? Yes. Um,
2: I think you said that we were allowed to have a tanned hide that we could throw over him. But you didn't necessarily want to show the process of, of skidding getting... Draguen. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, like, yes. we're allowed to go from Draguen is dead to here is the tanned hide of Draguen. You, you wanted to skip the in between step. Oh.
3: So, maybe we should figure out how that works first. And then, because what I imagine is that once. Um, once Luthien has acquired, you know the the cloak of bat shape plus five, right? She's able to get in on that super easy, barely any inconvenience, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. yeah.
3: And then she looks over Baron's like, "Oh, we gotta we gotta do something about this. Um, There's a problem here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so that's gonna require a little bit more effort because Baron has no power source to tap into right yeah like so right. she has to actively do something she's got to help
1: yeah yeah right. and we've just seen the process of her singing herself into bat shape and so again song clearly involved right um,
2: but she has to sing over Baron essentially because yeah. he's just going to be like I'm standing here I don't know how to turn into a wolf <laughs>
1: Right, exactly. Um, How important is it then that we need his whole pelt? I don't know what else we'd have. I, I'm just like, yeah. yeah. Even if we have it happen off screen, right? Like, it, it's a classic example. It's one of those things you can say that in a book, right? And then they put on the Wolfheim of Drowgluin, right? You can just say that sentence, and you don't need any preamble to that sentence, and. Most readers' minds will obediently skip over all of the incredibly messy and improbable steps that logically have to come before that, right? Um, uh, but um, you can't do that the same way in a visual adaptation, you just can't, um, and um, so. I mean, like, whose idea is it to skin Drowgluin in the first place? Who is like, what we really need is Huan's. to, you know, it's Huan's, Huan's idea. idea. Yeah, right. He speaks three yeah. and a half times. Uh, the half time of which is to be like, yeah, uh, uh, skin that puppy and strap him up to some, you know, like you know, pet, nail him to some logs. That's just what needs to happen. Like, seriously, it's like, why would they do that? I mean, other than like to. Uh, other than to do the disguise. But if the disguise
2: is coming out the way that we're describing. Uh, so. We're going to have a mo- reason... another
1: montage. No, no, no. <laughs> the,
2: the other reason to skin your enemy and put his body up on the wall is to make a point. Right. Right. Yeah. Like heads like on the Like Bjorn pikes. was doing. Yeah. Right. Or like what Bjorn was doing with, I've yeah. got a wolf hame pegged to the right. wall over there. Yeah. Because exactly. I don't like wolves. Uh, Same reason yeah, I've got so... a goblin
1: head on a spike over right next to it. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, if it's something like that left right at the bridge to Tulsyrian when they leave, that's less of a, like, unexpected thing. Okay. Like, if if you've got the tower tumbled down and the right. bridge broken and <laughs> a wolf pelt <laughs> right on the gate... <laughs>
1: We're we're missing some touch here, though. Really, in order to perfect the scene, I'm thinking Baron is saying this, right? Like, okay, <laughs> the tower's leveled, right? Um, uh, the orcs the Isle are all gone. No more,
2: though. Like, how do you how do you let it let everyone know that this right. is no longer the Isle of Werewolves? This is Finrod's Island now.
1: <laughs> right, right. This is the this is yeah. This was the Isle of Werewolves and. It's been de-werewolved, and we can demonstrate that it's been de-werewolved by the nailing up the pelt of Draugluin, which is making me think of Celebrimbor, of course, uh, like in reverse. Um, but, um, uh, yeah. I
2: think, I think Baron has shown himself to be bloodthirsty enough concerning the servants of Morgoth, yeah. that he's going to be fine with this idea, and therefore, yes. if it's coming from him, it's okay. And they pick right? Drogluin because it's the biggest pelt. Yeah, yeah. No,
1: I mean, I can see, I agree. It's certainly most in character for Baron. I mean, I can't imagine Luthien dancing around with flowers springing up and being like, and now, skin Drogluin, and now his pelt to the wall! Like, it's, yeah, I, I, I don't really see that. Um, but, um...
2: She could be looking at him going, wait a minute, <laughs> at this moment. Because this is right before the episode where they both are like, wait marrying the other person is maybe more than i had thought about before (laughs) right so (laughs) if this is the lead-in to her going wait a minute it's best it's best best to know
1: that your future spouse would enjoy skinning uh wolves and uh nailing their pelts to walls in order to taunt
3: their enemies we have a we have a tradition on the show of using our enemies pelts for various items of yes, clothing and Yes, as trophies,
1: so. yes, that's a thing. That's a thing. Um, if it's good enough for Hollith, it's good enough for Baron, right? Um, I, I can I can get behind that. Um, but um, but it's still like if he's gonna if he's gonna essentially like recreationally. Um, <laughs> recreationally skin and tan
3: the hide of
1: gluin before there's even any sense that it's going to be useful again like as
3: a I mean, signaling thing right they, he gets to do something even more demeaning to Draugluin if he in fact tans his hide right there we probably don't want to show that but I, the tanning process I really don't
1: think we want to show that
3: no no um uh
2: but it, the idea it is. It involves that, urine. Yes, exactly. We're, right. Yeah we're, yeah, we're not showing any of that.
1: The, we don't need to be nearly so practical as that.
2: But the death of drogluin and the need for his wolfheim are separated in time. Yes. So if Luthien were like, oh, great, I can turn into a bat now what are we going to do about Baron? Oh yeah, let's go find that like half rotten werewolf corpse is even <laughs> right. worse than if they've right. already prepared the thing and stuck it to the gate. So she goes and says like, oh, let's just swing by Tulsarian and pick up the pelt. It's on the way. It kind of makes sense. <laughs> like if we already introduced it in the story, the, the audience knows it exists. I think it'll be a little easier of a sell if we like intentionally left his wolf aim stapled somewhere. <laughs>
1: So remind me of the sequencing here. The end of episode—it's episode six, isn't it? The fight. Um,
3: seven. Seven.
1: Seven. Okay. Mm-hmm.
3: Episode seven. So all this the, stuff
1: is to ha- tower, stuff happening right, in tower episode fight. eight. Okay. Okay. Right. So that but the the tower like the, the the episode that ends with Baron finding or Luthien finding Baron weeping over Finrod. Right. That's, That's episode seven. seven. Right. Correct. So. Opening scene, episode eight, right? Baron nailing Drugluin's pelt, right? So we've skipped over the skinning. Scene. Leave it to the imagination of the viewer, the actual process of skinning. Uh, but, like, you know, Baron satisfied, you know, with some satisfaction, um, especially since, remember, the whole, like, uh, this would be sort of meaningful for him, too, given the role of the werewolves in um, killing Finrod and everything else. I mean, there was, the, you know, he's got some um, uh, personal werewolf scars uh, there, right? Um, so, Baron sort of triumphantly nailing up uh, uh, thing. If that happens at the very beginning of the episode, then we can come back to that later on, and we don't... We kind of skim over the... Okay. All right. If we do that, then I think we can we can do with the pelt. Um, and it does... It seems to fit. When I said, do we really need a pelt, I, I wasn't suggesting we take some other body part. I just meant, like, did we need a body part at all? Like, But it's more in keeping with what we've been doing, right? Like the hair cloak and the loom that we were describing and the back cloak is there. Um, if... You know, Baron is the only one who gets like a disguise woven for him out of nothing, right? Even Finrod and the orcs, again, there's like material there, right? There's already the, the basic illusion, which is just being enhanced by Finrod's magic. And so the same thing would be true of Baron and Druggler. So question, does Baron actually turn into a wolf? He actually turns into a wolf?
3: I, I would love like to see look. this will be the only actual werewolf transformation, transformation. Right. in the whole series right, right? and we would be right. we would be remiss in not doing it once that's true even that's because true. our werewolves don't do that right? right
2: right right so much so that we don't call them werewolves we call them wars so that people won't get confused and expect them right. to turn into men at some point
1: Right, right, exactly, exactly.
2: We can say, I love werewolves in Sindarin, and then, you know, it's the Sindarin word for werewolf. Right,
1: right, exactly, exactly. Um, Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Um, Yeah, and I agree. The wolf transformation does need to happen. Um, And and he's going to remain a wolf...
3: Until they get to,
2: until so they get to Angband, they, Band, right? They get to Angband. Luthien does her song and dance, puts the whole court he's, to sleep. He's under the Baron throne. Baron is laying under the throne, mm-hmm. dead also to the world. Right. Luthien right. shakes him awake, and boom, he's a man again, and pulls out his knife because he needs a hand to cut the Silmaril from right. the crown.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: And exactly. Drogluin's pelt is just left on the floor there, and they leave because he doesn't need it again.
3: Right, right. Morgoth right. is super confused. Wakes up minus one simril and plus plus one, one drago wolf skin <laughs> right
1: drago skin right yeah
3: yeah they turn just, into wolf skins <laughs> when you drop them <laughs> <laughs> right just,
1: yes the forensic evidence is uh, is, is is not clear uh, there the, and well the broken knife too would be a giveaway which presumably gets left yeah. behind as well
0: it's also yeah. that skins probably pretty gross at that point. <laughs> It's
3: probably pretty gross the whole time. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think so. I think so. I don't think he's really gone through an extensive tanning process, yeah. especially That's if he's just nailing it to the wall to make a point. Um,
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's um, gonna need some good, good masonry anchors to get those nails to stick in.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I don't know how we're gonna manage that exactly, That's but. All. Um,
3: that's just
0: more part of the magic.
1: That's it. That's it. He sings a song of hammering uh, into... <laughs> and hammering there was.
2: <laughs> I mean, presumably there's a gate, right? So you can stretch it over the gate, maybe. Yeah. yeah. You don't there, need there, we, to nail it to the stone wall. If you we just need to have wooden
1: wall. posts in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: yeah exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. So the difference between this and Finrod and his companions disguising themselves as orcs. Um, It's more extreme, right? So what I think we show there, I I think we go a little bit more of Lathian with it than uh, published prose Silmarillion text with it. That is, they put on the orc armor, right? Um, And when they do, they look like elf lords wearing orc armor right and then finrod sings his song and they now all look like orcs um
2: so it's more of a glamour exactly more of a glamour instead of a transformation instead of a transformation into orcs
1: that's right that's right yeah um uh and there could even be some way that we could sort of signal that like to each other they might not look different right but we could sort of show them from the outside and then show them from like their own point of view to show that their appearance has been changed but they've not been transformed but what luthien does is similar in some ways but is actual transformation she and baron actually become wolf and bat um okay um yeah yeah okay i think that works um All right. What else did I skip? Song Duel. We talked about the Song Duel. um, But let's talk about that more because I don't think we've talked about it enough. Um,
2: I mean, obviously, we're going to have to talk to Philip Menzies about the music involved in the Song Duel. But as far as everything else that's happening on screen, that's what I was hoping to uh, kind of talk about tonight.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I think... We, again, as I was suggesting, I actually, it's not like exactly cinema ready, uh, the description that we get in, um, in the lay of Lathian. Um, but we do, he does give us, um, visual and sensory images. We get some sounds and things as well. Um. I, it, it, the effect in the poetry is almost like cutscenes, as I, as I said. Um, and so I do think that in their songs, um, weaving their songs in with cutscenes of the scene of the things that they're describing does seem to me a really good way, especially rather than trying to do words, um, trying to make intelligible words that the audience can follow in the song is tricky. I think it would be hard to rely on that.
3: Um, Better, I think, I think it, to use imagery. I think that the expectation of the um, audience following the lyrics is so low that we should just do it in Cinder, and in in, uh, in Quenya.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, now, <clears> that I'm I'm looking to go back to the um, to The last song duel that Finrod and Fingolfin had. Uh, Finrod and Sauron. Sauron, yeah. 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 Um, which is in the uh. Season five, was it? Yeah. Season five, episode three script. I am trying to find it. I can probably find
2: it. Yeah, the Battle on the Fence of Sarek.
3: Yeah, here we go. Here we go. I, I found it by looking up. Uh, Gorgol, <laughs> he was the only character that I knew was only there, right? Um, okay, all right, hang on one second, here we go. And oh, no, it's, it's another scene after that. Wow, I, I visited that scene a number more times than I thought it was. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> So essentially, um, it, it's it's a lighter touch than we're going to have. Um, but Finrod hears the voice, uh, and as the uh, the elves look around, the orcs are more monstrous and more terrifying than they were before, um, and they can kind of hear like this maniacal laughter in there. Um, as finrod begins to sing a response his song turns into a it turns the maniacal cackle into a joyous laugh uh and the shadow lifts from the elves uh then it actually changes into more imagery um where finrod's song recalls the stars uh and uh the trees in valinor and um But it's his song is failing, and, and then Barry hears people show up. So mm-hmm. what we did there landed in the imagery camp. Right. Uh, with the song behind it. So yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, okay.
1: I'm reading the questions here. Let's do the whole scene. A quick run through of the entire scene. The scene is... They've been taken before Sauron on his necromantic thu seat of power, right? Um and they're interrogating him. I don't think we go as far as Nereb and Dungalef, but uh they're getting interrogated, right? And there's um I
2: it, and they don't know the things they should know if the do they works this. of Morgoth and they yeah. do know the things they should know shouldn't know if as elves of Nargothrond. Yeah.
3: Right. So right. it's,
2: it's very this clear. This is
3: that Finrod's original throne, by the way. Sorry to interrupt you, Marie. Right. I just yeah. wanted to make, make that clear. Yes. Yes. This is
2: Finrod's tower. Yeah. yeah. Finrod's tower. And before um, his throne room. Um, so as they're giving worse and worse answers to the interrogation, Sauron gets to the point of saying, whom do you serve, Lighter Mark? And he goes into the whole, repeat your oaths as, as orcs of Angband." Knowing right. that these are elves in disguise in front of him and they're not gonna say the oath. Yes. So that's the moment where their duplicity is revealed. Right. Right? So like there's a questioning part, but the part where he asks them to swear an oath is the is And the, we're done. The turning here. point.
1: Right. Exactly. So from that moment, um I would I would rather not totally deprive Baron of agency so the question of are any is anybody going to use physical weapons at any point during this I think we need an explanation for why they don't because I don't think they're gonna I don't think it's gonna there's not going to be a major swordplay dimension I think of this conflict but I think that that needs to be explained so my first thought is the the jig is up right like they're found out like it's clear they're asked to swear this oath, they know they're not gonna swear this oath, right? So I think plan A, certainly for Baron, plan A is combat, right? Um, So here I see Baron drawing his sword and attacking, um, and there's like a brief fight. Other, you know, and the other elf
3: lords do the same
1: thing, right, so we get It doesn't even
3: have to be brief. It could be continuous through the whole thing. Well,
1: but I, so we, okay, so there, there are a couple options there. So they're fighting, right? When they start fighting, Sauron does, certainly is not going to get in a fight with a weapon, right? Yeah. Sauron is just going to begin to sing. And my first imagination of this is that Sauron sings a song, and when he sings, like, everything stops. Like, that, you know, that, that Baron is, whether actually sort of frozen or whether his, like, mind is overcome or something, like... So, and then Finrod steps forward and sings a song to, like, you know, re- rebut uh, Sauron's song. And that's how this. The, so, first we establish that Sauron's song power, like his power through his song, just quells the whole let's escape this with combat. Uh, thing there 's not going to be an escape for combat um, and baron is tra- Baron and everybody else wielding a sword is just trapped and helpless um, by the song of Sauron until Finrod steps forward and fights his song with song and now we have the focus fully on Sauron and Finrod, and everybody else kind of fades into the distance. Maybe we see still Baron sort of standing there still holding his sword. Um, uh but he can't really even move or do anything. And then when Finrod is taken down, like fade to black and next scene is in the prison, essentially. Um That's kind of my first thought. What do you, the, now, now there is the option. They could still be fighting and it's just Sauron, but I kind of like the idea that we, we demonstrate that without, um without, uh um Finrod, um there's 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 no there's no it's not a chance yeah. of like, oh they almost fought their way to freedom, but not quite. Yeah. Like there's there's there there's no prayer of fighting your way to freedom from from Sauron's throne room.
2: And we've seen Sauron use Song to halt people before back in season three when he took out Mithras' army with trolls. Yes. Yes. Um so Mithras was completely incapacitated in that right. sequence. By far,
3: yeah, we're not diminishing Baron by doing that. Yeah, certainly. Um, Need the confrontation stay static in the in the throne room? Now I'm just kind of like, you mean, do they move around in the throne room, or does it have to stay in the room room itself? But like, there's the whole bit in in the song about chases and escapes, Mm -hmm. and you could depict that visually so there's two ways that I, I see making that interesting and one is they are actually actively trying to escape and like so obstacles like, are being thrown in their way by when he's Sala. singing
1: about traps opening and stuff that there's right, yeah, exactly yeah
3: and the, the whole you know the changing of shifting shape and stuff like yeah stuff yeah. like that
1: so to To take that almost as more like a script rather than just imagery.
3: Yeah. right, right. Alternatively, we, and this I think would be really cool if we did this, is if we saw that happening, but when Sauron wins the song duel, we find out that that was just- Right, they were standing there the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Um, it was all, so, it
1: was
2: a dream all along.
1: Right? Exactly. Well, that it is a kind, because it is, a, I guess, a sort of a vision sequence, right? Yes. I mean, it's. Um, it has yeah. real
2: consequences, though. So it's okay. Yeah, it like, does. The, the reason why it was just a dream is always such a <laughs> terrible cop out answer is because it means nothing mattered. Nothing, nothing actually happened, happened, right? Had the, had nothing
1: any, was really at stake. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. But with Finrod losing this duel definitely matters. Yes. So yeah, there's a consequence, absolutely. so I'm okay with that. And what I really like about that idea is that I think the easiest way to think of this is Sauron stands here and sings a song and Finrod stands here and sings a song and they're completely static the whole time just singing at each other.
1: Yeah, no, that's not a that's not an engaging visual. Um,
2: right, so something much more dynamic where yeah. Sauron sends out an attack and finrod eludes the attack and then like counter-strikes you know like if there is something that involves them having to move around in a space around one another while fighting magically with words then it makes the scene a little bit more dynamically staged
1: so i could see this in two ways one i could see um uh we just we lose sight after the initial duel begins like so the last thing we see is finrod standing forward and singing his song right um or beginning his song rather and then we cut away from the throne room or we fade away from the front throne room or whatever um and so we don't see the throne room itself again until as nick said at the end of the battle it's resolved and now we realize we've all been there all along if they're still static that's fine actually just shows how dynamic the metaphysical struggle that was happening was right and the idea that it's kind of like a dream sequence but it's more than a dream dream sequence it's like a little subcreation sequence right like they're what is going to happen is the thing Like, either they're going to escape or they're not going to escape and that's it's going to be reflected in reality one way or the other um
2: Right. I like think it's pretty cool. One of the things cool. in Finrod's song is strength like a tower. Like, it would be nice if he could build himself a tower. Right, right. In the song. Right. And Which looks like look like the tower equipment. that he built that he's standing in the middle of right now. Well, he's right? Yeah, towers. Okay. yeah <laughs> um, exactly. So like, and then, yeah, the way you attack a, a tower is with siege equipment. So Sauron can right. lob some siege equipment at him in this sequence but like they're not touching each other it's all these magical right. visions like springing up around them
3: i kind of like to maintain the illusion that this is an actual escape in progress as much as possible so, right. so as that it, it doesn't, doesn't feel like the beginning of a dream vision r- right, right right and like the whole bit where Sauron brings up the kinsling right like they could be in the dream sequence crossing the bridge to escape and Sauron appears at the end of the bridge, right. Standing there and he delivers his, the final piece of the song and brings and that brings the flashback to the slaying. And then when we come out of that, we're back in the throne room again.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there could be, I think it'd be cool if there was like increasing evidence that the what was happening was like a dreamish yeah. sequence right okay. um so that it could like kind of become more and more surreal like the transitions could become more and more surreal um yeah. uh, as as it as it goes through um i i think that Maintaining the illusion, like a real illusion, all the way to the end, so that like people really are convinced that what they're seeing was what was actually happening, and then cutting back. If if the, if that illusion is maintained too thoroughly, it'll just be confusing.
3: I yeah, think I agree. But if
1: it starts okay. off, but but I like the effect of it starting off that way. So we do show them Marie kind of moving right, and then transitioning into like the action sequence that is going to be reflecting the song fight right the escaping um the traps opening the chains snapping um uh the uh you know and then um uh uh but even the tower in a sense marie i mean i kind of like the idea of um the strength like a tower it could look like Finrod's song has like cleansed his tower, right, so that it looks again like it looked back at the beginning of episode mm-hmm. one when we saw it with Orodreth in it, right? Um uh which, again, would not be outside the scope of magic that we've shown in right. other places, right? I mean, that could be a plausible thing, right? That he's his song has somehow purged the tower, his tower, after all, right? Of, uh, of the evil that Sauron has brought to it.
3: Um, Turning it into the Tomb of Horrors.
1: Right. But then Sauron, you know... Uh, Fights back against that anyway. So yeah, I think uh, I mean obviously I'll leave the details of what the, happens in the dream sequence to you guys, but um, but I like that. Um, and then at the end of it, again, it becomes more and more. The transitions become more and more surreal. Sauron popping up and whatever, and um, and then finally the image of the kinslaying. Right. So I mean, I think that 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 last um, that last image of like uh, you know bloody water. Uh, lapping up onto the, the, you know, the beaches with the gems in them, which we've recalled in episode one. Right. Um, uh, you, you know, is like that sort of, you know, to, to show like Finrod, like the, 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 thing that defeats Finrod, right. Is like, he's there standing like ankle deep in the bloody water that is, you know, lapping up on the shores of, of gems. Um, Right. And, and like you could yeah
2: you could do some overlay with the river Syrian being the original source of the water, but once there's blood in the water, then it's Aqualande or something right
3: like, mm, right you
2: can you can do that transition. but I agree that he <clears throat> has to be standing at Aqualande in yes. the bloody water. He can't be on the bridge until Syrian looking at a vision right. of it. Exactly. Like he's exactly. he's
1: standing there and standing there like and you know that final it could be really powerful. Right that last image of Finrod standing in the bloody water looking around him at the dead elves um you know on the shore and in the water and he's just his song falters right he just falls silent in grief and um like he's this is this is this is noldor kryptonite right the kinslang is the noldor kryptonite and he's um and his song chokes off and stops and as soon as he stops singing there'd be this like frozen moment right of silence with finrod looking around at him and then boom dark throne room back there where it all started and uh and then fade to black right um next scene interior prison <laughs> right as far as finrod and baron are concerned um yeah. but uh but yeah yeah no i think that's um i think that's pretty um um i think that's pretty cool um uh it
2: okay. is this superior to a fireball
1: i think this is better than a fireball i think i i, I think it'll do or or like uh lightning bolts or uh, or other things like that um uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that this will, I think that this will work. Um, sorry, I'm just getting distracted for a moment, thinking ahead to like other other times when we're going to want to do something like this Then we're going to want to invoke this because of course this is such an iconic moment, but, um, I'm sure. I'm sure
3: we'll find something.
1: (laughs) I'm sure it'll come up. Yeah,
2: the voice of Saruman sequence when Gandalf and Saruman stare at each other. Right, right, um, and don't throw fireballs.
1: Yes, uh huh. Right, exactly, exactly. The
3: the fall of Dol Guldur.
1: Right, poor Sauron. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Yes, the uh, the 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 attack of the White Council on Dol Guldur as it should have been. Um, Yes. Yes, not the exactly. green Council not the green Council, right, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh not yes, yes, uh, believe it or not, way, uh... I do think we could probably imaginatively
3: improve upon that sequence uh i think <laughs> and and Brian, yeah. actually, i don't really I didn't really have that much of a problem with the white bubble versus the black tendril, like that was that was, that was okay. the least
1: bad element yeah, uh, I thought possibly, that
3: was yeah. 40, yeah like I was on board with that.
1: Mm-hmm. As a visual representation of the conflict of their power, I agree. That was um so much less objectionable than um uh than Green Goadriel. I, I can't even I can't even say. Um, All they
3: had to do was bring back the effect from the last movie and it would have been better. <laughs>
1: there, there were um Actually, I think a theoretically infinite number of things they could have done that would have been better. Um, But uh, anyway. Um, Okay. All right. I think that's most of the things. Isn't it most of the things? Necromancy. Well, we talked about about that. We have,
2: especially just last time. But if you wanted to make any distinction between how evil magic should appear versus good magic, this would be the time to comment on that. If you have nothing new to say, that's
3: fine. Same power source. Yeah, I don't think we
1: do make it very different. Um
3: other than I'm, Elvish Magic. Elvish Magic is a little different, but
1: Well, it's so I mean on the one hand there will be certain visual effects that are gonna signal it, like the just I mean like the 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 visual effect of Glamdring glowing blue is going to be very different from like a Morgul blade, right? Um, or from the 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 Barrow blade, right? Mary's Barrow, the Barrow, Barrow blade. The flaming swords
3: of the Balrogs. Or Endural,
1: right? When it fl- I mean, there, there's going to be differences uh, all over the place. And so there will be some of these things that are going to be coded. This is evil magic, right? You should be able to tell from looking at Sting and looking at... Um, You know, the Morgul Blade, that one is evil magic and the other is not evil magic. But at the end of the day, it's not a fundamentally different power, Nick, as you're saying. It's, you know, will that is focused in a particular direction, right? So the primary moment that I think we have that seems to me to call for a clearly different sort of visual thing would be the pot of evil. Um, the establishment of the pot of evil and the like the the you know the the magical containment field um the the uh, you know the the proto alpha level ring of power that um Sauron puts around the pot of evil um that should be like ominously not looking quite like fire letters yet um but that should have. I think a visual effect that really sets it aside as something that looks like definitely creepy and evil looking, whether we and do that with like a pale sickly green color or something like that. I don't know, but
3: also musically. Yeah. musically the ring be... lit motif is going yep. to be. Yeah. There should be a prototypical version of that. Agreed. Here. Agreed.
1: Yeah. No, it goes without saying that almost all of the real power of all of this stuff that we've been describing in this entire episode is going to be down to Philip Menzies. So, I mean, like, it's going to all going to be about the score. Uh, the
3: we could just, yeah. just waste a whole lot of our time. We could just, I, we could really, really just Phil just needs to solve all of these problems for Phil's us, really.
1: But, uh, yeah, we'll have a lot to go over uh, with Phil, and I'm um, sure he's going to be excited to hear all of the problems that he has to solve. Um, we got the weaving song, the hair growing, weaving song. We've got uh, the, the singing to trees. We've got the bat song. Um, we're gonna need a wolf song. We're gonna we're gonna need you know we're, like, obviously the pot of evil song. Um,
2: oh, also, yeah. you mentioned like oh, when are we ever gonna want to do a, a song duel like Finrod versus Sauron mm-hmm. again? Um, we haven't really talked about how to do Luthien's song before Namo. True. And um, that's kind of a big deal.
1: That's kind of a big deal. Yes, it is. Yes, it
2: is. It's not a duel. Like, she's
1: it's not, not fighting a duel. him. It's not a duel. Yeah, but and I think that's why I wasn't thinking of it in this regard. Him. It's a persuasion. So, I mean, it's that is not... So, I mean, is there magic involved? Like, yeah, in the sense that any song that powerful is going to be magical inside, you know, is going to deserve the word magical. Right. Um, but it's not exactly, she's not like doing a thing. She's not making something happen by the power of her will in that. Um, unless you consider persuasion, uh, an example of one of those things you do by the power of your will. But anyway, it's needless to say, again, that's going to be, uh, another, um, excellent, um, Philip Menzies thing, right? Um, but. Uh,
3: he even has a composer-sounding name.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. So I think we're good. So uh, next time, next time is going to be the 21st of July. Um, so that's, um, hey, that's two weeks from today. That almost works. Um, so t- <laughs> we'll be back in two weeks on the 21st. Um, uh, and uh, our next session, we'll be talking about episode two, right? So we'll be we'll be up to two. That'll be fun. We're gonna have an outline,
3: I think, for two. Is that the idea? We're we're we're, we're gonna
2: try and have a script. We've
3: not given
1: up on script <laughs> we have, yet. We have okay.
3: A, an emergency writing session happening. Okay.
1: Okay. All right. We we'll have interrupted
3: much- it to bring you this broadcast. <laughs> right.
1: Cool. Awesome. Awesome well, we'll see what happens. Um, and the uh, the script discussion you guys gonna be holding on Thanks. the 15th there uh, the the uh, Friday night in between um, uh, talking about the frame narrative, getting the frame the first five episodes of the frame narrative sorted out. so sir, yes um, sir awesome. Yeah, I I I so I have my 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 puppy here who's been hanging out with me here tonight uh very, very well importunately. Behaved. She's very well behaved though she's been snoring. You might have heard her little snorts over here. That's she's a shih tzu and they snore a lot. It's adorable. It's really cute. But anyway, like it's um it was just Both as of well my
3: children snore, so yeah.
1: Yeah. It was just as well that she was in snoring mode rather than I'm chewing my squeaky toy mode throughout uh, our discussion here this evening. But uh, anyway. That's another um,
3: Minds and Hands thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's another Minds and Hands thing. All right. Um, Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Uh, This has been a lot of fun. Uh, Glad to uh, resolve some of these things. I feel much better about some of these scenes that were kind of... Strange or weird in my head, uh, and I'm glad we've gotten those uh, sorted out. Looking forward to episode two. That's going to be great. So I will uh, say, as always, thanks for listening and Godspeed.